Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Lindsay. And we're here to talk about Back to School, starring Rodney Dangerfield, Sally Kellerman, Keith Gordon, Terry Farrell, Paxton Whitehead, William Zabka, Ned Beatty, M. Emmett Walsh, Burt Young, Robert Downey Jr., and Sam Kennison. Directed by Alan Metter, released in 1986 under the $11 million budget, grossed over $91 million at the box office. Crazy, $91 million? Jay, why are we reviewing this? <laughs> well, it's it's the time of the year when we're supposed to be going back to school. Now, that's happening in various forms wherever you live. But we thought it'd be fun to do three films eh, somewhat around school. And so we picked this one out. We're going to do a little lesser known one from 1986 called My Science Project and then wrap it up with... Ten things I hate about you, because you can't do school movies without some Shakespeare, you know, remakes and stuff. But honestly, <laughs> I've been wanting to do this one for a, a while because it's one of the movies I grew up watching. I didn't see this when it came in theaters. I was too young. But I remember my dad renting this because I, we thought Roddy Dangerfield was funny. He grew up watching Dangerfield when he was in his comedic rise in the 70s. So he was a big deal doing stand-up. And then we had seen the TV version of Caddyshack. I didn't see the real one until many years later. But, of course, he's huge in that, and that launched him into a movie career that he hadn't had. And then of all the movies he did, this one was by far one of the more successful ones. And there's something about this one that's always held up for me. I think it was my first vision of watching something and thinking, oh, that's what college is. Uh, and then I went to college, and it's nothing like this at all, but I, it did you know, give me a front load for it. And I think because it's got people in it that I've seen in so many other things, and I'm not going to lie, I'm a sucker for a good pop song. That Jude Cole song is awesome. I I love it. So I've had the soundtrack for years. So uh, yeah, we're doing it because it's a school movie, and because somehow, in all the years of film strip, we haven't done any Roddy Dangerfield. And so we we got to get this one going. So i got to ask, though, have either of you seen this before, Brian? Uh, I did a long time ago, a one-time only probably thing. Uh, my parents also were big into Rodney Dangerfield. Um, they have slides, if you remember what slides are, of Rodney Dangerfield in con- – uh, con- I don't know what you want to call it – in performance doing stand-up com- comedy. Um, we also have a restaurant down the way from here called Dangerfield's. Um, so that's kind of cool, a little tie there. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I remember watching it. A long time ago when I was a kid, but I have not watched it since, so. I actually watched it pretty recently. Um, The guy that I'm dating loves this movie, and so we watched it (laughs) just maybe a month, month and a half ago. And when I told him we were reviewing it, uh, he kindly offered to watch it with me again. Uh, it's one of his favorite movies and it's really great. And actually watching it with someone who loves it so much um, really opened me up to like some tiny nuances that I totally would have missed otherwise. Um, I liked Rodney Dangerfield before I knew Rodney Dangerfield was Rodney Dangerfield. There was a cartoon movie I had when I was a kid called Roger Dangerfield 
And Rodney Dangerfield was the voice of that cartoon dog. And it was one of my favorite movies. And uh, and then as I got older, I was like, oh, oh, it's that guy. I know him. <laughs> so it's nice to know somebody else had date night watching this, because unlike a lot of what we reviewed where my wife says absolutely not, she heard we were doing this. She's like, oh, yeah, I like that one. I'll watch that. And then in the middle of it, she said, y'all need to do more good stuff like this. I don't know. You know, I think what we did is kind of fun. But no, you know what? Yeah, this one is one that has stuck with me forever, like for all the reasons we, we've already mentioned. Um, I'm kind of blown away by how much of it holds up, too, because, I, you know, we've talked about it on other shows, but I've worked at colleges and universities for 20 plus years now. And there's a lot of stuff in this, y'all, that is still very much true. I'll try to point it out as we get to it. But I'm glad you both had seen it before and got a chance to revisit and Lindsay I'm glad it's something that you sort of recently discovered too so a lot of fun to watch I agree it's definitely one that you watch with people for sure so I think before we go any further though Brian I'm going to put it to you tell us what happens in Back to School Thornton Mellon played by Rodney Dangerfield built his tall and fat clothing empire through hard work determination and street smarts instead of school smarts now he hopes his son jason can do what he didn't and finish college thornton dumps his cheating wife whom he married after jason's mother passed away and realized that she had distanced him from his son so he along with limo driver and side man lou set off to pay a surprise visit to jason at college jason though hates college pretty much all of it and is ready to drop out until Thornton decides to enroll with him so they can do it together. Thornton learns quickly that his years of experience mean absolutely nothing in the academic world, as he often clashes with the university's faculty, except for his literature professor Diane, played by Sally Kellerman. Jason continues to struggle and gets frustrated watching his dad be the life of the party and not take college seriously. However, Jason's fortunes begin to improve when he finally makes the school diving team, which angers his rival, who is already on the team, and catches the eye of a co-ed named Valerie he's infatuated with. Facing expulsion in spite of his financial donations to the university, Thornton must go before the board of his professors and pass a series of oral exams to remain in school. This happens the morning of a big diving meet where Jason performs well, while his rival attempts to throw the event by faking a cramp. But the diving coach has a trick up his sleeve and recruits Thornton to perform a fill-in dive, having seen Thornton perform a nearly impossible dive in his younger days. Thornton nails the dive, they win the meet, he finds out, he passes his classes, and all seems to end well as he gives a speech at graduation and credits roll. Very good. I think that's a good summary of what goes down. There's a lot in this movie. I'll enough you know, for big comedies, particularly of eighties comedies, they tended to be pretty simple, but this one gives us a whole fifteen, twenty minutes of prologue before we ever get into what's gonna be the meat of the story. I really like the opening credits, the opening scenes. Um I meant to research and I didn't. Um I'll do that in between, but um, those pictures, those old school pictures of Rodney Dangerfield were so cool. And I don't know if you guys know um, if that was just him doing the, you know, work life thing, auditioning on old sets. I know one of them was actually a Caddyshack picture, um, but there were a few of them that I didn't recognize. But I really liked that opening montage. And then, of course, later in the movie, there's that aha moment where he says the same thing to his son that his dad said to him. And I was like, oh. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the opening 
Same. They're about half and half, really. Like a lot of them are things that were just staged for the movie, and they kind of put his face on stuff. A lot of them, though, are from his life. And Roddy Dangerfield had a lot of things before he made it in comedy. He was a truck driver, so that time when you see him in and out of the truck, that's him by his truck at the time. And other things that some with the kids when they were little, those are his kids, and you know all that kind of stuff, which I think is kind of neat. We don't do that much in movies anymore. We don't do montages like that as a way to tell stories. And I did like the introduction. I don't know if y'all caught it. Jason Hervey before he was Wonder Years. <laughs> And everything else he became yeah. the young Rodney Dangerfield. I thought he had him down. He did the little neck collar pull thing and the yeah. no respect stuff. That that was cute with his dad. And what you realize is that his dad is a tailor and runs like a a, a dry cleaners and things like that in the old neighborhood. And they're Italian, they're Maloney's, you know, and he doesn't like school. He doesn't want to be in school. He wants to run the shop with his dad. And his dad's like, no, you got to get an education. And what we find out is that Thornton's like, eh, not so much. And he ends up taking over that business and turns it into this global empire, which is a story we've all heard, right? It's everybody's sort of fantasy in the 80s was to not go to school, but to be a multimillionaire. Because, yeah, you could just do that. <laughs> Back in yeah. the 80s, right? Everyone is a millionaire. <laughs> I love that he named the, the shop The Fat and Tall. And I love the scenes where he's doing the commercials. Yeah. Does this suit make me look fat? Uh, yeah. I need to hire fatter actors. <laughs> yes. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> so yeah. I like that, though. Ronnie Dangerfield yeah. has such a presence on the screen. I mean, he really steals Caddyshack from everybody that's in that movie. That movie's infinitely quotable. But when Dangerfield's on the screen, that Al Chervik character just blows everybody away. He's such an obnoxious jerk. He's obviously <laughs> unbelievably rich. He just throws money around. And what we'll find is Thornton does kind of the same thing. I've often kind of said, like, these guys are cousins. Like, they know each other. Somewhere along the line, <laughs> they've, they've crossed paths, played around together at Bushwood. Well, I think it's funny because I think it's a, a, a dig on how rich people are, right? Like they think that they can do whatever they want by throwing money at the problem. And so he exaggerates that a ton in this by just, Oh, here's $200. You don't do this for me. Or here's another couple thousand. Oh, I can't get into school. Let me build a building for you. You know, hey. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the fun part is the, 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 um, school the head of the school is just like he gave us lots of money he can do whatever he wants <laughs> this is good right i mean i think that's and you know jay i know you work in higher ed so i don't want to step on your toes or anything but that's at least prevalent in tv shows i didn't grow up with parents who were paying my way into college so I don't know if that's a real thing. I assume it is because it's on so many. I just recently started watching The Politician on Netflix. And that's like a big part of the movie is his rich parents or Harvard trying to get his parents to basically donate money for a building. Um, and it's just one of those things that it was blown out of proportion to be funny in this movie. But it's almost like a dagger because it's kind of true, but still funny in context. I'll tell you two things. One is I think this is supposed to be a knock on the nouveau riche. People that came into money in one generation, they haven't had generations. It's not a Rockefeller wouldn't act mm -hmm. like this. So he's that's why he's so outlandish with everything. Um, it's also to show you too, and this is what I love is even when he's making fun of those commercials and stuff, I love that boardroom scene where he's like, no, do this for a year. Like he's obviously figured out how to work the market, how to work real estate. He's really smart, street smarts, right? So he's he's thinking 
off the, you know, the seat of his pants and figuring stuff out. So that is what I think it's a rib on. And I'll tell you both right now, I've known a few people and met a few people that donated enough money to get their name on some buildings at some of the colleges I've worked at. None of them acted like this dude. But let me tell you that the administrators <laughs> acted just like Dean Martin. They will no, roll yeah. out the red carpet <laughs> and kiss the feet and the ring and whatever you want. Do you have grandchildren? Go have some and we'll let them in this school with scholarships. Yep. That's how it goes. I mean, look, it, fair or not, money moves things. And if you've got the kind of dough, by the way, to get your name on a building, y'all, that's a lot of money. Like nowadays, that would that's at least like $40 million. Back then in 86, that was probably like 10 million bucks he dropped on them easily and didn't even blink. That's what, that's how you need to realize like how rich this dude is. He's like, <laughs> you won't let me in school? Okay, how about I build your new college of business? And next thing you know, like that afternoon, we are yep. getting that done. I would have loved to be the development officers that the dean called and said, um, you need to get in here right now. I just made your day. You know, so it, it is funny how that works. I love his line. And I mean, is I don't know, maybe it's pessimistic. I don't know. But I love the line where he uh, goes up to that snooty teacher who's like, you don't deserve to be here. And he goes, hey. The only reason you're teaching here is because people like me pay for your buildings. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's <laughs> not wrong. He's not. I love that guy, Philip Bombay. I mean, a classic <laughs> theater performer there that we drag mm-hmm. into these comedies. That's how these guys get work, which I always find is fun. But I absolutely love Paxton Whitehead because he he's not a bad guy. He's not evil at all. Because that would have been the temptation is to make this guy so outlandish that you, you hate him. What you just realize is that he's, a, he's the pure academic. You know, right? He, maybe he worked for a little while, but he is a guy that has studied economics and studied business. He thinks he's got it down to this exact science. <laughs> and then he meets a real businessman. And what I love is that when Thornton starts ripping off all that stuff in the class, like, you missed everything. Oh, you got to, you know, pay, you gotta pay bribe this you guy got, and bribe that you guy. Get yeah. The oh, that's the best. People. That ain't the Boy Scouts. You know, and every kid is taking notes. I love that. But that's so much fun, right? Because I've been in classrooms with like returning students that may be a little bit older or whatever, and have got a little bit, you know, world wise to them, sometimes too much. And I, I, especially like history classes that have military veterans in them, you don't talk about getting people's buttons. Like they will say like, no, that's not exactly how that is. Let me lay it out for you. And I, I love that too, because it's, it's so much fun to watch Roddy Dangerfield try to acclimate to school and the different ways he does. And the business professors is one thing that the other two that we really get to see what we'll talk about in a bit. But I, I just love, Dangerfield's whole thing because like every third line his eyes are just bugging out of his head it's just and that's part if you ever watched any of his stand-up that's kind of his thing I mean he's really oh, just yeah. riffing and what I, I told my wife what was funny about this is if you look at the credits there's like six or seven people credited with writing this which on a movie you always know there's like a dozen people that write on them or whatever but usually that's a sign of a problem <laughs> like there's too many hands <laughs> in the pot but what I found out in a little bit of research was Dangerfield really kind of gave him the broad stroke of what he wanted to do. And he said, just leave me blanks with my dialogue. And I will, he wrote it like every night before he did his stuff. And Sally Kellerman loves to joke that I didn't know who this guy was, except he was the Miller life commercial guy. She said, I didn't know who he was. (laughs) But then he comes out and shit every night. He's sitting there just writing pages of dialogue and he would come in and he would say something. And one of us would mess up the next line. He's like, no, your line is like, he knew everybody's stuff, which I was, was just neat to, to hear about. Yeah, I, I mean, his comedy, 
he's I love I love also Sam Kennison in this movie too. Yes. Right? And we'll we'll get to that. But uh they bring both of their comedy styles so well into this movie. You know, Dangerfield is known for the way his facial expressions, right? Like he he uses his facial expressions to get his jokes across. And he does it so well. And Kennison is all known for screaming at you, right? Yeah. And <laughs> when he first gets introduced in this film, he's given a lecture and he's so calm and all this and all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, you get, you're waiting, you're waiting the whole time, right? You're just feeling like he's going to yell at some point. And I told my, I watched this with my my uh, 12-year-old son and uh, I said, oh, Sam Kennison. I said, watch this guy. He's hilarious. He's going to yell. And my t- kid's like, what? Well, I don't get it. And then all of a sudden he, he's like building it up, building it up and all of a sudden, boom, hits it. And that that kind of comedy is just not around anymore, you know. Where they they have a stick and they stick to it every time, you know. Your Gallagher's and your 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 Kennison's and all that. And and you can thank Dangerfield for Kennison being in this movie. They tried out a lot of different people, and and Dangerfield was known to find young comics and try to give them a shot. And mm-hmm. something. So, like, they tried out Jim Carrey, but he wasn't old enough for this. Oh, yeah. And so, they, <laughs> but they, but he said, Sam Kennison is this. Trust me. He brought Sam in. He's like, comb your hair down, wear a tweed suit, and then just mm-hmm. lose your mind to this chick in the front row. And I, it, it is hilarious, but it is every <laughs> Sam Kennison bent you love to know. Oh, and the best part is when he goes off on Vietnam <laughs> and he's yelling at the girl, and then Dangerfield's like, hey, hey, settle down. And he's like, what do you know? And he goes off and he's, then he goes at him, and he's like, "I like this guy." <laughs> and that was that was a great scene. Just a great scene. Good answer. I'm watching you. Good answer. <laughs> now, now, did either of you ever have professors like these two? The either the oh. economics professor or the freaking you know, weird out history professor. Absolutely. I, mine wasn't a history professor though. He was actually an English professor. He was uh, he taught lit and ecology. And critical writing skills, but he was fully hippie, like went to Canada during Vietnam type of guy, (laughs) you know, like no smart person will ever run for president. And here's why super into like yin and yang and Jungian theory, like you could get an A in that class if you wrote a 20 page paper on Jungian theory, regardless of the book you were reading, it did not matter. So he and he wasn't a yeller, but he would go off on these crazy tangents, and it was such a fun class. And I would request to have him, and my advisors were like, "Why? Everybody hates that guy." <laughs> I was like, "Cause I got it figured out. I know how to make an A in that class." It's the game. You're exactly yep. right. And that leads to our third professor, Diane, played by Sally Kellerman. I had a professor that was very much like this. My lit professor, she would come in flowing, you know, garb and long dresses and all these scarves and whatnot. And she was fully reading. dressed like an English professor. <laughs> yes, that is yes. exactly what you expect an English professor to dress like. Yes. And would sit like cross-legged backwards on a chair and read this poetry to you in these sultry tones, you know. And like <laughs> none of us were really turned on by it as much as we were just enthralled by this woman. I was convinced she was a vampire and just had us all glamour <laughs> for a long time. But uh, Lindsay, like you, I figured out early on like – Everything for this woman is a metaphor for the fall of communism. 
So if I can turn everything into that, oh, wow. I'm going to get an A. And we had we had some poem once about a dead Russian hooker rotting in the sun. I don't remember the name of it. Somebody <laughs> tell me what it was. But I said, well, clearly that's the metaphor of the fall, the, the, the linen. And I just went on this whole bullshit for like 10 minutes. <laughs> And she was like, yes, yes, exactly. I had read that play two minutes before class or read, read that, that play two minutes before class. Just, I, I said, I'm going to riff this because I told two of my friends, I said, I bet you she'll buy it because if you could sell it, she would buy it. And I learned, I learned the art there of like, if you just believe it enough and you fake it enough, people will go for it. But I, I love Diane in this because she reminded me so much of the typical English professor that I knew. Yeah, I had nothing like that in my college. My professors were really boring. The only one I had uh, that was uh, – we had a, a class called Film Studies where we had to watch you know, movies and do tests on them. So there were two different professors, one who let you watch real current films, Top Gun, whatever, right? And one that would watch just – weird bizarre bs movies like spike lee's do the right thing and uh some hitchcock thing that nobody had ever seen before uh and uh the rosebud movie uh citizen king yeah we watched that so the greatest i got yeah holly and i got into that one but we found out early that you didn't have to go to class because all he did during class was read the exact word for word notes that are in the little pamphlet that he gave you. So, and every test was open notes. So there was no reason to go to a four hour class at night on a Monday to listen to him lecture. So we would literally skip the whole lecture part and then go for the second half of the class to take the test on the previous week's stuff and then leave. And then, do the same thing the next week. There was just no point. So that was the weirdest professor that I had. Um, but yeah, most of mine were pretty tame, but I was in computer classes, so not a lot of excitement in those. <laughs> I guess not. But no. But it is fun to watch this sort of typical college experience. And we, we, we've skipped over it, but we got to talk about the setup of it here. And it's a good way to talk about Jason, the son here, right? <laughs> Obviously has grown up and lived a pretty darn good life. He's going to this big college. This was shot like partially at Wisconsin and partially at like Cal State and several places uh, around. But if you see anything outside, everybody's in red and white. That's Utah Madison. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you notice that Nick, uh, the podcast as Nick was like, Oh yeah, that was, I think he knows anything tied to Wisconsin. So we're doing this. He's like, Oh yeah, it was shot at Wisconsin. Um, Apparently, Roddy Dangerfield had like some real affinity for. But anyway, he goes to see him, and poor old Jason is miserable at school because, <laughs> and I mean, you can see why, right? Like, he, he didn't make the diving team, so he's the towel boy. He didn't get into the fraternity. He hates his classes, and he has one friend who has no friends the unbelievable <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., coked out of his mind, no doubt, but giving an <laughs> unreal performance with blue hair. I said to my kid when he came, yeah, I said to my kid when he came out and said, Hey, it's Iron Man. And my kid's like, No, it's not. And he goes, 
holy crap, it is. I'm like, yeah, that's Iron Man right there. Well, and he, yeah. he got a kick out of that. But uh, I love the character that he plays, Derek Lutz. Uh, yeah. Just doesn't give a shit about anything. <laughs> and he will, even the, the jocks, he's just like, what are you going to do about it? You know, you want to beat me up? Big freaking deal. Do it. I don't care. You you suck. I knew <laughs> people just in college like that had this guy's attitude that were like mm-hmm. really smart, but they didn't know what the hell they were talking about either. And they would like challenge people <laughs> to debates that had no business talking to them. And they would always wind up on the wrong end of it. And we would just sit there and go like, man, that was a bad idea. But you couldn't, you couldn't not watch it. No, uh, yeah, I I agree. I see. I know people like that too. I had a a, a guy in college that you ended up being in my wedding party. His uh, his roommate was your typical like computer nerd, right? And he would argue about anything computer wise. If you said something wrong, he would argue to his last breath until you admitted he was right about it, even if he wasn't. Oh my god! And you're just like, dude. It's no wonder you have no girlfriend or you have no life. I, I mean, oh. God. So, yeah. yeah, that was fun. Actually, he reminded me of a lot of my friends from high school. Like, <laughs> I, I was just in that group in high school. And, you know, we were all like kind of nerdy, kind of like punk kids, kind of, you know, um, didn't like the jocks or whatever. And they would... Uh, and I say they because I was far, far too, like, horrified to ever, like, you know, I just wanted to kind of, like, back up in a corner unless it was on a stage. Like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't putting myself out there like that. But uh, they would, you know, like, all the popular kids would walk by and they would basically haze them, like, just yell, you know, not yell, but, you know, they would, they had nicknames for everybody and, you know, as they walked by, would just yell the nicknames like Swamp Thing and The Grape. And there were, oh, wow. There were Fatty McStank, like, you know, we, the classics, <laughs> the classics. And, uh, you know, you're in school, so they're not going to do anything because um, then you get in trouble and they're on the football team or whatever. So they didn't want to not play. But I, it's more akin to I think the group I hung out with in high school and college we were so in our own special little bubble you know that mm-hmm. we didn't really come into a ton of adversity head on like that not in my group anyway see this is the thing when I said at the beginning that this movie I thought taught me what college was going to be like and it was totally wrong the movie that would have taught me what college is actually like had it been out when I was a kid is pitch perfect that's much more like what college is everybody finds their little group, and that <laughs> becomes your world yep. and then you just ignore yeah. everything else and that was me in college yeah. and my friends that were in different yeah. groups everybody has their own little clique this one is much more like the idea that college is just high school extended and because mm-hmm. everybody like Chaz the perpetual 80s douchebag will Zabka is it's Johnny Karate, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. By the way, yes. it's awesome on the uh, the Cobra Kai show that they have now. So and good. You should definitely check that out. But yeah, but I mean, he he talks about how he got typecast as the the eighties jerk after the Karate Kid, and he he said something once. 
I found a clip of him talking and said, there's 20 minutes of me not being a total a-hole that got cut out of this movie because the director's convinced, <laughs> no, you just need to be the bad guy from Karate Kid again. And so nice. that's all they would cut around the poor guy. But this this movie's much more like that. It's like high school, but just at college where you can drink and party and nobody cares. And that's, of course, not what college is like. It's much more like what you talked about, Lindsay, and, and I've said it's, it's much more smaller groups and you just kind of stay in your group and – your group rolls forward. But I do love Derek's whole, like, he's got a helmet with a missile through it because football is some <laughs> sort of metaphor for war. And I, I love it. I, yeah, I, I love that whole little speech. The way he just rips those lines in and out. And, the, you know, I, I called him out and coked out of his head. True or not, he was flying back and forth from New York to where they shot this because he was on SNL at the time. So the dude was working, oh. like, insane hours and getting it done. I mean, no wonder he's gone on to – Superstardom, and thank goodness he got himself clean because what a, what a force he is, and you can see it just in the little parts here. Um, I got to talk a little bit though about one of the the funniest scenes in the movie, and I got a real flashback too. I don't know if this was y'all's experience, but when they go to do registration and you have to stand in lines with the punch cards, y'all, that was when I was in college. Like before we did it on computers, you stood in lines with punch cards. And his, Thornton's great idea is let's have Lou stand out by the limo with Bruce Springsteen on a sign and all the kids flood out. I love the thought process too, where he was like, hang on, let me think, let me think. We're in college, we're in college. What would college kids, got it. And it, it's right. He was huge. He's still huge, but he was really huge. You know, I mean, so today good. that would be if somebody stood out in the parking lot with Drake on a side, you know, and everybody would run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was in college, we had to do a similar. We didn't have punch cards, but we had to literally go with the classes we wanted in our hands. And we we'd wait our turn in line and you go up and you'd say, OK, I want this class at this time. And they'd say, nope, that's closed. Shit. <laughs> um, how about this class? This class at this time. Uh, yep, we have, uh, three slots. Okay, I'll take one. Uh, how about this class? Oh, that collides with that class. Shit. You know, and it was like, oh, it was a pain in the ass. That only happened for like a couple of weeks because I was right at the start of that computer age. And, uh, we went online after that. And thank God, because it was so much easier to pick your classes when you could see the seats open and whatnot. But yeah, yeah. that first couple quarters were, that was not fun. I think my freshman class was one of the first freshman classes that started being able to, like, register for classes online. But you had to do it at the Math Emporium, <laughs> which is essentially a warehouse, at least then, was just a warehouse full of computers and desks. And you just went in. Painful. I'll tell you though, the other thing we were introduced here is the, and she got introduced in an earlier scene, but there's a girl that, it, that Jason is absolutely obsessed with, Valerie Desmond, uh, played by Terry Farrell, who, I don't know, Lindsay, what do you say? She's at least a foot and a half taller than Jason Gordon. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, at first I was like, is she wearing heels? <laughs> nope. <laughs> is he wearing heels? <laughs> She's at least a head taller than him, though, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I, I mean, they seemed into it. He seemed, you know, she seemed into him. I've only ever known one couple that that worked for, like where the girl was taller than the guy. And maybe it's just Southern culture or whatever, but I've never known one that that like wasn't a deal breaker for. So I've never had that problem. I'm not even 5'2", <laughs> so I've always, I've always been shorter than everybody. I can't relate. Yeah. 
I can't. <laughs> but I did, I did like this though because, and I I feel bad for our actors here because they give her absolutely nothing to do this movie <laughs> except stand around and fawn over all these boys and like. I, I don't know. I just felt like, well, this is this is 1986. This is what we did. We weren't clearly worried about what she was trying to say. Because Sally Kellerman's really the woman that has any any lines of note in the movie. Valerie's just there to be pretty. Did you get the feeling that, um, you know, he uh, was obviously obsessed with her, but she was like stalking him <laughs> in the movie. Even though she was dating uh, Chaz, she would like find ways to connect eyes with him or run into him for something and ask him questions. It's like what's going on here, you know? And then the next scene you'd see her dating Chaz and you're like, "What? Oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I thought she kept stalking him. Yeah. And then when he was like, I love you so much at the end. And she goes, that's the first time you've ever said three sentences to me. I love you too. <laughs> like she's been waiting for him to say that yeah. the whole time. There was the spark y'all. It was the eighties. You had the spark. It was. You, had the, you had the guy you You'd... were supposed to date, but then you were in love with the loser. Yeah, so, <laughs> now Elizabeth Shue ends up with Ralph Macchio, Karate Kid, by the way. Dude, there you go. No way. Like, well, that doesn't last because in Karate Kid later he's dating yeah, the you Japanese know girl. That, so. that was the yeah. most realistic thing about Karate Kid too is the fact that Elizabeth Shue dumped him for a football player. He's like, mm, yeah, that's not. <laughs> we haven't talked about Lou yet. Burt Young, you know, who oh, everybody God, knows what from a great the character. No, I, love uh, this dude. I love that guy. I love it, and I love the fact that he just doesn't give a shit. Like, Dangerfield gets in trouble, and they're like, what are you going to do about it, old man? Nothing, but he will. And he <laughs> takes on the whole football team. That's a hell <laughs> that was of so dude. good. Oh, that was so good. I loved it. I was reminded His by this moment, with, I've heard Eric Dickerson talk about when he was in the NFL and he would come back to SMU for like recruiting stuff and some kid mouthed off to him once. He said, I pulled that kid over the side and said, look, I'm a grown man. I'll whoop the shit out of you, boy. And I'm what happens when a, when a grown man that don't care no more gets a hold of you. It's over pretty quick. And I, Yeah, I love Burt Young. He's so much fun in this movie. I love it. His best line is, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a tough guy, but I'm nice. I got two sons. I put one through college, one through a wall. <laughs> Tough and nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just such a presence, even when he's not saying anything, you know, he's just always there. I love how I feel like he's, well, I'm, I was going to say, I feel like he's one of the few people who Rodney Dangerfield's character, like really just connects to and, you know, feels fully comfortable with like, I don't get the impression that he feels uncomfortable around anybody. He's always just himself, but that's the guy that really pulls like his human side out and not just his one liner side. Like in a, in a different format, if this was a TV show and they strung it out for you know seasons or whatever, we would find out that Lou didn't have any friends in school growing up with Thornton, but he kept people from picking on Thornton. So they, they were lifelong buddies and Lou was just a guy from the neighborhood that Thornton mm -hmm. was like, I'm taking care of this guy because he could take care of me. And, and he does just, you know, it's, it's good to have friends in low places. Garth Brooks was not wrong. I mean, sometimes you gotta <laughs> have those. And, it was not. Listen, I'm not a fighter either or whatever, but I had some friends in high school that were pretty tough that probably kept me from getting my ass kicked because people knew I was friends with those people and that they would have done something if anything happened to me. So I always appreciated that. It was nice to those people. But I, I, I love Burt Young. He's so much fun. I don't know if y'all caught it or not. My wife caught this one. At the very end of the dive meet when he's running up in the congratulations, did you notice the little teenage girl that he's like holding hands with and running along? 
wrong. It's one of the girls he picked up from the bar. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. amazing. That's creepy and strange. I have one thing to say about that last swim meet that I didn't notice. And we actually rewinded it and watched the team entrance three times because it was so funny is Chaz. When he's walking out, he looks fully hammered drunk. Like he's got like a scarf and he's just like, he's just like sauntering out. And, and I was like, what? We rewinded it and watched it three times. It was so (laughs) funny. Like you could tell he was just goofing off backstage right before that. And, uh, you know, cause he knew he probably wasn't in that shot for the rest of the day. You know, they probably took them a day to film that. And then he was like, "Eh, whatever, I'm just going to drink a 12 pack, saunter on out and go sit by the pool for the rest of the day. No big deal. It was so funny. Highly recommend going back to watch that entrance. Yeah, the dive meet scenes are so much fun in this because I love reading the behind the scene thing that like this is supposed to be the worst diving team in the league, right? So they got all these collegiate divers and they said, okay, you have to suck. And they were all like, what? And they made them do the most horrendous takes. They would do a dive and the director would be like, no, you have to screw it up because you're not any good. And the guy's like, but why would I do that? It <laughs> couldn't convince these guys that you're not any good. So you need to be bad at this. So I'm really glad I, you brought that up. I actually asked that when I was watching the movie and I said, they must be really great divers to be able to mess that up. Because it's Mm -hmm. like Lucille Ball was a really great singer, but she also played a really bad one really well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you have to be, to play something really poorly, you generally have to be pretty good at it. So that's that's interesting. Also, just just look at Marky Mark and Boogie Nights, right? (laughs) He can sing. We know he can sing, but he has to sing off key when he does the touch. The best ever. Love it. Yep, that's a great example. Uh, the other thing, too, that I didn't know, and, and I've never known this until just this time watching this movie, but Amazon had one of those little bubbles when I paused it and said, Ronnie Dangerfield was actually a diver at the Jersey Pier in his younger days. Wow. And, and apparently the triple Lindy is something he saw someone do. And so that's how no, it got no itself into the movie. No, there's no chance. Actually, so the guy that I watched this with is from Jersey. And he, when that part came up, goes, that's a true story, by the way. (laughs) Like, that's a real group, a real diving group, a real circus group, whatever it was. At the pier, like, that was a real thing and very popular. I had no idea. That is so wild. Yeah, no, because it's so, I mean, obviously, some of the worst, like, Ronnie Dangerfield smiling face on this other dude's body all of a sudden in the middle (laughs) of that dive. But I love the whole bit, though, with uh, with M. Emmett Walsh. I I think M. Emmett Walsh is just one of those character actors. You've seen him in a million movies. You don't know who he is. Uh, Him and Ned Beatty, the same. I kind of confuse them for each other sometimes. But they just show up, and they do their thing, and they just absorb into the role. And I love how, like, the diving coach is this hugely overweight... (laughs) God, like this guy never dove in his life. There's no way. I know X divers. They still look like X divers. They don't, they don't lose that. that. Yeah, that's he was a trip, and it was so much fun to watch that though. But I, I wanted to ask y'all, like, what did you think of the whole conflict there? Because did you really think Jason really wanted to be a diver, or was he just doing that because his dad wanted him to? I kind of got the sense that it was the latter, not the former. It was unclear because he was pretty forthcoming with his dad. 
Yeah, I think I think he wanted to be a diver and um, just wasn't good enough until you know Dad slipped some cash. So, so you believe what Chaz says? You think Dad? Heck paid yeah! Off you think so? Did you see the dive he did to get on the team? <laughs> it was the simplest dive ever. <laughs> Like, I, don't, come on. I, don't, I don't know my dives that well. All he did was a, a front dive into the pool. He didn't <laughs> flip or anything. I thought he did a back dive. It was like a backwards Either way, dive. he just, it wasn't a, fl- no flips or anything. He just went in. Well, we know it gets bright. <laughs> I don't know anything cards. about diving. You got a flip, right? <laughs> so that's, that's funny. Well, you know, I thought about that. I often wondered, I'm like, did Thorne buy his way onto the team? Because he denies Heck it later yes. pretty vehemently. Like, no, that's the one thing I didn't do. But you're probably right, Brian. I mean, <laughs> what didn't he pay off in this, in this Exactly. Movie? He, had, he had Kurt Vonnegut come write a paper about Kurt Vonnegut. So. And the teacher didn't believe it was Kurt <laughs> yes, Vonnegut. The best line is when Sally Cameron <laughs> goes, so this person good. didn't know anything about Vonnegut. And then he cuts it out <laughs> on the phone. I was like, that is awesome. So, I'm canceling the check. Fun. but but wouldn't that not be what a professor would do like the author can tell you no it's about this no you're wrong i've known professors that were bold (laughs) enough to go you don't even know your own work no jeez yeah i'm not surprised Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a trip at all this goes but we get i love all the hijinks that go on and i love how it takes thornton what a matter of about two weeks to become like the party meister of Wisconsin Central or wherever they're supposed to be in school here, right? And uh, there's the the cops are bringing the beer to the party, which, <laughs> yeah, okay, that was fun. You get friggin' Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo, who were retired at that point, Danny Elfman does the score of this movie, to come out and play one of their massive hits, Dead Man's Party. Love that song, love that band, it's but so at this good. point, at this point, they were kind of like done as a band. So that was a big deal to get them back. That's funny. I like how um, he. It took no time for them to to combine three uh, dorm rooms into a castle, yeah. <laughs> and he gives yeah, them. Right? He slips them two hundred bones for it. <laughs> like, hey, take your wow. boys out for a party. Yeah. Well, you know what? That, like the first dorm room they walk in, I'm like, holy cow! What is that? I don't know about the dorm rooms you guys lived in, but they no, were, they were not, not that big. That big. I lived in a former closet. <laughs> like for real, like they converted a a closet into a single dorm room, and my first uh, my first year, I was paired up with a guy, and he left school um, the second quarter, and so I had my own room the rest of the year. So I got to pick uh, uh, to have a single room. Well, the only single room available was this old closet, and Holly will tell you it was tiny tiny closet they put a sink in there and they called it a dorm room and i lived in that for my first year it was half the size of a regular dorm room if you can imagine wow yeah yeah i had a sink i had a sink in my dorm room i thought that was pretty special Mm -hmm. oh yeah no ac you know i mean and i was on like the sixth Mm -mm. floor you know of and in virginia so it was you know like 150 degree degrees you know we had fans blowing everywhere it was i don't i don't remember like ever being super hot though i just remember thinking i bet i was really hot but that was just not what i was concerned with at the time i guess the minnesota vikings had their training camps at my alma mater every year up until last year i think it was and that's in august and in august in minnesota it is awful 
It's humid, gross. So they would be out on the practice field every day, twice a day, and they would have to sit in our dorm rooms. And they didn't have air conditioning in any of the dorm rooms. Not even until very recently when they finally upgraded them, they had no air conditioning. And they they had to deal with that. Just gross. No wonder they sucked. <laughs> Damn! Having to live with that. Oh, no wonder Teddy Bridgewater tore himself up. <laughs> Jay with the shade. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, it is what it is. Uh, so, but yeah, all kinds of hijinks ensue. You're right. They turned those that huge dorm room into this like luxury penthouse up there for them to live in. And of course, Thornton is trying to like, you know, live his whole business life while he's not doing schoolwork and all this. And everything is going south for him. I think the, uh, the funny thing is when he gets the, uh, the monkeys to start watching Georgia championship wrestling <laughs> and feeding the people. <laughs> that was awesome. They're just taking a break. They're just taking a break. Yeah. With the pizza and the sunglasses. I love it. Right, right. I mean, but he's on the phone with like his whole team. Like, I need you to get down here and start taking notes in my class. I need you to call in an astrophysicist to do my homework for me. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I want to talk secretary. Yes. Oh, yes. The, uh, Edie McClure. Taking notes in the class with a yes. typewriter. <laughs> I, I love, you know, again, a staple of the 80s. Uh, love mm-hmm. from Ferris Bueller, you know, yep. the secretary. And I love how she's back there in her little steno. And uh, Bombay just lays it into it. You will never pass this class, you know. And that's <laughs> such a smarmy, cool moment. She's like, oh, okay. You know, and she's so, so funny. I think okay. my favorite movie she's seen that she's in is from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. When Steve Martin is going off on her at the checkout because they don't have a car for him. And she just looks at him and says, oh, dear. And he says, what? You're fucked. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> that is just classic. a great line. She, you know, she's a great comedic actor, and, <laughs> and just another great. But that's the thing about this movie. I think it's another reason that it lasts. Is it's just peppered with all these people you've seen in other stuff, and they maybe get one or two scenes, but they just blow mm. you away. Like Sam Kennison's in two scenes. He's in the scene where he goes off on the blonde and. Thornton in that very underpopulated history class for a school that size, by the way. <laughs> and my history class in a small school was bigger than that. And at the end, when Thornton is doing his, you know, grueling uh, exam. oral exam, and he's like, come on, just let the man work, all right? He's under pressure. Say it! You know, he starts <laughs> And I was like, what? They gave him the best parts to do yep. that. So, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely screwed. What do you think, though, about his relationship with Diane? Because I actually think it's kind of sweet and cute. You don't get to see people plus 40s get to have, like, an actual cute romance in a movie anymore. I don't know, man. She's like, she plays the field. I, I, I think she's just having fun. And like, he's like having fun. And then it just kind of happens. Like they, she doesn't take it seriously at first because she's still dating the other guy. Right. And then you see her with another guy, I think even later in the movie. And so it's just like, she's just having a good time. She's freelancing, whatever. Yeah. The only. The only moment where I was like, what the hell, was when he was in the hot tub at the party with all those other girls, and she walks in and, and sees him. And she got him pissed. And gets mad. And I was like, dude, you're dating someone. Like, what, what, yeah. what do you think's going to happen? Th- and then same later, reaction. she's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, it was not fine last night. You were mad for was no he- reason. 
that's when she gives him the bad grade on the Vonnegut paper that Vonnegut wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you realize yeah. like, she just she just hates her. She's getting back so. at him for it. <laughs> but no, he has the best line though when he pops up with the snorkel outfit on and all the you know Zubaz. Oh, hey, They're my cousins. My nieces. Oh, you're my nieces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, first off, I'm like, as an uncle, I'm like, that would be weird and awkward. No, so <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. That's very strange. Not but, a good yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's during the Dead Man's Party, which is, is again, I can't go on enough about how much I love Ongo Bongo in that song, uh, because it's just so much fun. And it, it's the song that never ends, too. You can play it for like an hour, and it's everybody's jamming to it. So I once tried yeah. to convince one of my bands, Brian, to cover it, and they were like, no. <laughs> like, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. They're like, it's too old, man. We got to play like newer stuff. I was like, but people will love this song. We're playing a frat house, for goodness sakes. I would have been right, by the way. Uh, Give the people what they want. Right. Well, you know, we ended up playing. You can't do uh, that all the time. You'll be playing Mustang Sally every damn time. This is true. But we ended up. I did compromise and we played The Cures Just Like Heaven, which did kill at every party Mm. we played at that. So there's that. I got my little art rock moment in. So (laughs) he has to go before the academic board here, though, too. And I I had a flashback, y'all, when Bombay is asking him the questions in 37 parts. I once was on a job interview with a guy that I highly respect and I love him to death. But Jimmy asked questions like this. It's like, okay, Jay, I've got a question for you in seven parts. And I'm literally sitting oh, there like Fort Mellon going like, holy God. And I feel like I was taking a test. Like it's, oh, I don't, either of you ever have to do oral exams? Because I did for one class and it was absolutely the worst experience of my life. Nope. Thank God. I would have no. failed miserably. Yeah, I, I did. I had to, I had I had to, to do monologues. Oh, that would have been just as tough because then you have to remember things. And I, I can't do that. <laughs> I had to do that one of my counseling classes. Yeah. It was like, so tell us why you've diagnosed this person as this. Well, why didn't you do that? And you couldn't do anything but just sit there with the DSM and go, well, as you see, that Margaret has da 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 da. And it, oh, God. Just, just PTSD from it right now. Uh, but I love how <laughs> Thornton is playing through this. But it's such a, I mean, Diane gives him such a softball. Right? When she turns, she pours him a glass of water. She turns a chair around. The only thing she doesn't do is pet his hair while she's asking him the questions about the poems. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a little, I'm like, at some point, like, the dean might go, um, this is a little inappropriate, Diane. <laughs> dean Martin. He didn't mean? care. The dean yeah. wanted him to, to pass because he wanted his money. Well, he already yeah, had. He probably exactly. told yeah. he probably told them all to throw softballs at him, and the only one who didn't was the Bombay. was the business guy. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, uh, yeah, clearly. Well, he got because didn't got, you see? Didn't he roll his eyes when he's like, "I got a seven part question," and the yeah, didn't the dean like? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love so, that while Diane is trying to de- you know butter him up or whatever, and and Bombay does give her crap for it, and she's like, "Sit down, you've had your turn." And I'm like, "Well, I guess oh, yeah. you just broke up with him. That's that's where that ended." Uh, no more merger <laughs> for you, Philip. I love his proposal to Diane. We should have a merger. And I'm like, right? this guy's never. Has this guy ever been on a date in his life? Holy God! This guy's never actually been in a business either. I think has, tell that. has he ever like touched a woman at all? Like it's I don't know. It's a very strange uh, relationship those two had. But maybe he was a good cook. I don't know. We don't know. You know, Diane did like her food. Like as we learned, I, there might not have been a whole lot of options too. So I don't know. Man. There's a lot of dudes on that campus. So. I mean, you know her and Turgeson like got drunk one night at a faculty party, and you know, <laughs> like there, there are stories other people talk about. Come on, that's who those people are. So, uh, 
I've worked in academia, y'all. I'm telling you, stuff goes down. I trust you, Jay. I trust it's, you. It's just weird. So, but not for College people like me. People I'm staff. Arranged. I don't get to hang out in cool places like that. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it, I, I love the final exam. It's all about this big blowout dive, though, because the worst diving team in the country can rescue their season by beating, I don't know, whoever's there, that Iowa, whoever it is. And they're, they're doing all these dives. And I love that, like, I don't understand Chaz's motivation here of like, oh, I'll show them I won't dive and it'll screw us from winning. I don't know how that exactly is going to get back at the melons in some way, but he's just decided that it would. Oh, I just think he had his ego hurt from his first dive because, you know, his head yeah, wasn't he in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think his ego was hurt from, from, uh, the fact that Jason's with uh, Valerie. Mm-hmm. And I think that was his motivation was to not allow Jason to get on the team and win, win their first meet. Cause they hadn't won. Right. Yeah. yeah they never Without won. him on the team, they yeah. hadn't won. So now he's on yeah. it for the first time. He doesn't want him to win with him on it. Cause then it'll look like he came on and they won the meet. Good point. Uh, we should also mention too, some more mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. Comedic genius heckling divers with air horns and what, <laughs> you know, what's never been done. <laughs> <laughs> You never see anyone heckling divers. I like that Lou looks at him and he goes, you're all right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they they have this whole bonding moment. I'm like, Derek's going to become Jason's Lou later in life. The cycle. There you go. Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. Because there's no way Derek's ever going to get like a job with anybody except someone who knows him. I mean, that's not a guy (laughs) is going. If he came in my office, we'd be like, okay, we got to have some talks about, you know, your whole thing. But yeah, it's funny. (laughs) We, we, Jason does well. You're right that Jazz does like screw up his first dive, probably because he was drunk, Lindsay. Like, you're right. But he screws up his first dive (laughs) and he's going for his last one and he fakes the cramp. Um, Minstrel or otherwise, as Jason says, and we, we have to get we have to get Thornton Mellon out there to do the triple Lindy because you knew that was coming. They'd set that up. It's it's Chekhov's dive. Like we have to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most ridiculous dive ever. I mean, I guess if you're a circus act, I can see that being something you try to do. But for a real dive to jump off what three different diving boards, you know how dangerous that. Yeah, but also, like the NCAA, they better be dry be like, as hell. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's no and they way were they like, we added an extra springboard. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't already there. They somehow found a springboard somewhere for him to for him to bounce off of. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you knew that yeah. was coming. And of course, it's the big it's the big moment. He has to do, it. and it, it's great. I mean, it, it it's it's one of those kind of things that again, it's. It's cheesy, and in a movie that hadn't earned it, you'd call it out and be like, that's just bogus. But in this movie, it's like, of course. It's got to be him. It's got to be that dive that you know saves the day. Because that's mm. what happens. He gets out of the pool, and he realizes he got all Ds and one A. And then he makes out with the woman that gave him the A. So there's, there's going to be there's gonna be inquiries about this. That's a good day. Though, you know what? Really? I've, never had, I've never had a day that ended like that. So not in 43 damn years. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's not how that goes. So it's not my life. I don't know about y'all's. But now I, I love the ending of it though. It's a lot of fun. But then at the end, of course, they've asked him to speak at graduation uh, because he's given <laughs> enormous amounts of money and is clearly the most popular person on the campus now. 
Next to probably the mascot, uh, which is always the most popular person on any you know large campus like that. And I love that he's in full academic regalia, like PhDs, the whole night. He's got all of it, and he's just just having a ball and doing his Roddy Dangerfieldness there at the end. It's it's a lot of fun. I, I love his advice though. It's actually not bad advice now. Don't go out in the world. Move back home. Don't you folks worry about it. I, I, I'm like, hey, there's a generation of people that took you up on that one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are. That's funny. But we come mm-hmm. to that moment, and it, you know, we end on the big moment. And of course, we've got it because it's Roddy Dangerfield, and it's no respect. We pay the licensing fees to Aretha, and we got to go out on RESPECT. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> yeah, that was a good end. I mean, I did, I the did. the song, the whole ending was good, but the song was a nice touch. I guess the soundtrack is is pretty good. I mean, again, you got Ongo Bongo, you got yeah. Franklin, you got, and look, I will light a fire and torch for Jude Cole anytime. His especially his movie songs. The movies aren't always good, but the songs are awesome. So, start the car. Back oh. to school is a killing song. This movie is chock full of just like eighties tastic montage music. I mean, it's got Michael Bolton in it, so it's got to be good, right? Yes, from his middle <laughs> days. Yes, at the, at the uh, leopard party where they're all in the uh, caveman outfits. <laughs> well, guys, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Back to School? Brian? Well, I'm going to echo what my son said. Dad, I really like that movie we watched last night. So I think that's a win for a 12-year-old to really enjoy a movie from 1986 when uh, that would have put me at, what, uh, eight years old at the time. Uh, so I, th- I thought that was a, a good win. I enjoyed it. I, I, like, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so it's been a long time. But I got a kick out of it. I was chuckling the whole time. And so I'm going to give this a large popcorn. I think it was very enjoyable still to this day. Lindsay? I was going to give it a large popcorn too, Brian. Um, I, I really enjoyed Ronnie Dangerfield anyway before this. And again, this is probably the second, well, this is probably the third or fourth time I've seen this movie. It gets better every time you watch it. There are so many little nuggets that you find throughout the movie every single time you watch it. So it just gets more, um, they're just little treats every time and I love it. And I'm going to stick with that large popcorn. Yeah, this is absolutely large popcorn. It's the best Dangerfield solo movie that there is. Uh, no offense, easy money and, uh, ladybugs, but, uh, got nothing on this one. Totally holds <laughs> up all these years later too. That's the thing. And Lindsay, you've nailed it. You can rewatch this and you'll find something new to laugh at every time. It's it's fun, but it's definitely one you need to watch with other people, especially if somebody that really likes it or digs it. I think it's so neat, Brian. You introduced it to your son, likes it. And Lindsay, your boyfriend is already a fan of this, so this is uh, great that it, it hit the sweet spot for both of you. This is large popcorn, totally. And an absolute blast to be a part of. And as always, it was a lot of fun talking about it with you two. Folks, you can find our entire archive section on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. That's where you'll find all the places you can download the podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple, you name it, we're there. Leave us a five-star review and let us know what you think of the show. Please share the show on your social media. You can follow the show's socials. On Twitter and Instagram at Filmstrip Pod and Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook. So until next time, for Brian and Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.
Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.